Um, let me greet you all in the wonderful name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. It's a joy to be with you and a joy to see new faces as well. Um, see uh, Simba, as they have introduced him. We came with Obey Simba Bronick. Uh, Bronick is a cool name. Sounds like a, a name from a movie uh, coming out of a burning building. <laughs> and uh, I see Zinke, and I forgot your name, but I've seen you before. Uh, what's your name again? Uri. Yes, Uri. Uh, Uri, Zinke, and Uri. Um, it's been a while since we saw Zinke. Uh, so, Zinke and Uri, uh, good to see you once again. Um, may God bless you as we hear his word this morning. Amen. Uh, we continue with our study in the letter that James wrote. And as we look at the study, we looked at um, verses 2 to verse 4 on the subject of responding to trials. And we're still under that theme, but uh, more um, going to um, another um, section, uh, verse 5 to verse 8. We're looking at verse 5 to verse 8 today on the subject of wisdom for trials. Wisdom for trials. Let us look at God's word as I read from the ESV, James chapter 1, verse 5 to verse 8. This is God's word. Let us hear him. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. This is God's word. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, our Lord and God, we thank you. Thank you for your word that speaks to our lives. Your word that speaks to us in fear, speaks to us when we are in doubt, speaks to us when we are hopeless, draws us to yourself to see you as you are. We thank you for your faithfulness, O oh God, in speaking to our lives. Speak to us even this morning, O oh God, and draw us to yourself to love and to honor you. Give me a heart, O oh Father, that um, seeks to preach your word with clarity of speech and clarity of thought. Protect your church from error. In the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. There's a story that is told of a small store owner who was being pressured to sell his store to the owners of a large department store who had bought every building on that block except for his building. Uh, frustrated by the man's refusal to sell, they eventually opened their huge store on either side of, of the small one. The small one was in the middle of those two big stores. And, and when they were opening, they opened with a big banner 
uh, running from one side of the store to the other, proclaiming in huge letters, grand opening. Feeling equally frustrated, the small store owner did finally outsmart the large department store. Below the grand opening sign across, um, um, across the front of, of his small store, the man, put, the man put up a small banner over his door, main entrance. It took wisdom for this man to, uh, to respond to an otherwise frustrating challenge, a frustrating difficulty. In the same way here, James points us to this section that, that Christians need wisdom to respond to various kinds of trials they experience. James chapter 1, verse 5 to 8 forms a new, sections, a new section that deals with the topic of, of wisdom. The, 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 this wisdom, of course, is in the context of um, responding to various kinds of trials. The idea that James communicates here is that wisdom is a key component to, to facing trials in our lives. You will notice here that as we deal with the text, it is not just any kind of wisdom that James talks about, but a wisdom that is from God. And this should fill our hearts with great joy at the knowledge that God did not leave us to our own devices, right? God did not leave us by ourselves to, to fend for ourselves, but he has made a way. He has given wisdom. So I want us to look at this passage, and as we look at this passage, uh, verse 5 to verse 8, we see three things about wisdom here that come out, three things about wisdom. First, the need for wisdom. Secondly, the source of wisdom. And thirdly, the manner of asking for wisdom. Let us look at the first, the need for wisdom, verse 5. Let's look at the first part of verse 5, verse 5a. He says, if any of you lacks wisdom if any of you lacks wisdom you see with these words james exposes the reality of the christian need in the midst of trials oftentimes when trials encompass us we we respond in an unwise manner and james underscores this reality by pointing out that there is a real possibility that his readers lack wisdom in his flow of thought, he sees wisdom as what makes, what keeps, or what enables the Christian to stand in the face of trial. In James, wisdom is not, um, is not intellectual, it is not cerebral, um, but it is, it is practical. I like what um, Edmund Hibbert, how he, he defines it, he defines it as the, the moral discernment that enables the believer to meet life and its trials with decisions and actions consistent with God's will. The moral discernment that enables the believer to meet life and its trials with decisions and actions consistent with God's will. The logic of James 
um, of James's argument here is that at the heart of an inability to respond to trust in a godly manner, that is with a joyful attitude, with an understanding mind or a submissive will, at that heart lies a, a lack of wisdom. He says, if any of you lacks wisdom, but by this, James is pointing out the fact that every Christian needs wisdom. The, the, the conditional clause, if, here, does not in this context imply uh, uh, doubt concerning the reality of the need. What James is actually doing is gently showing them their need for wisdom. Edmund Hibbert explains that Rather, it assumes the reality of the need and, and views it as a standing fact. The, the first step in gaining such wisdom is the consciousness of our need for it. If any of you indicates that, that this consciousness of a wisdom shortage must come as an individual recognition. There is no suggestion that there were individual exceptions to this need. The degree of the need may vary, but all believers have a need for this wisdom. Right? What should stand out from this, uh, from this quote by uh, Edmund Hibbert is two things. First, um, we, we need to see that every individual Christian needs wisdom. Secondly, we need to see this, that the first step to acquiring this wisdom is an acknowledgement that you need it, right? And even in psychology, they, they say that the first step to change is what is admitting, right? You first admit your need for change, and then that's where change starts. So we need to see... We need to see our need for this wisdom. In other words, we, we need to, to see the importance of wisdom, that wisdom is indispensable to the Christian life. We, we cannot afford to do without it. We, we cannot afford to, 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 to do without it, just as a soldier cannot afford to do without his gun in war. The, words, the, the word here, lex, means falling short. It means being destitute, of being in need. It, it pictures one not possessing something that is necessary. James does not, just, does not want his readers to be deficient in anything that reflects Christian maturity. Remember when Solomon was met with the reality that he would be leading the nation of Israel as king, he, he discerned that he would, what he would need the most is not military power to fortify his reign or, or wealth to live comfortably or, or fame to be known globally. But what he needed the most at that particular time was wisdom. He knew that with, without wisdom, his leadership as king in Israel will be a train wreck. He probably knew about the first king of Israel, right? Saul. How Saul unwisely uh, carried out his leadership. And it became, it became a train wreck. And, and God took it away from him. 
He, he discerned his need for wisdom. And in his lifetime, when you look at the life of Solomon, in his lifetime, he, he came to see the importance and the need for wisdom, that this was the knowledge that he wanted to pass most to his children. He had a lot of things to pass on, right? He could pass on wealth. He, he could pass on, you know, fame. He could pass on the ability to write. He was a, one of the greatest writers of his time. But what he wanted his children to know the most, what he wanted his children to have the most was wisdom. The book of Proverbs is dedicated to showing that the best resource, the best resource that God has given to life, to do life well, is wisdom. Think about uh, what, what he says to his sons, right? What he says to his children in Proverbs. In, in chapter 1, verse 7 of Proverbs, he says, Wisdom is despised by fools. In chapter 2, verse 2, he says, The one who is to be, um, one is to be attentive to wisdom. In, in verse 6 of chapter 2, he says, It is the Lord who gives this wisdom. Chapter 3, verse 13, he says, The one who gets wisdom is considered blessed. Chapter 8, verse 11, The value of wisdom is incomparable with the wealth of this world. Chapter 9, verse 10, The beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. We can go on and on mentioning passage after passage when Solomon talks about the importance of wisdom, but the point is clear, right? The point is clear. Wisdom is indispensable to a life that wants to please God. We should desire it. We should seek after it. You see, the question that follows when we hear this is, is how can one possess this wisdom how can one have this wisdom and james does not leave us without an answer he, he answers this question by pointing us to the second thing about wisdom the source of wisdom the source of wisdom look at verse 5b he says in verse 5a if any of you lacks wisdom talking about the need for wisdom he says let him ask god who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. The source of wisdom. James points to God as the one who gives wisdom. In James chapter 3, verse 17, he mentions that this wisdom is wisdom from above. It has a divine source. God is the source of wisdom. A lot of times we... We think that we are self-sufficient. We think that we are able to do things by ourselves. We put more trust in our abilities and in our skills. That's why um, uh, um, Jeremiah, um, God speaks through the prophet Jeremiah to the children of Israel who were about to be besieged and attacked by Nebuchadnezzar uh, um, and taken into captivity. But instead of taking that warning from the Lord, they, they trusted in their military 
power. They trusted in their wealth and they trusted in their wisdom. And God sends the prophet Jeremiah to these people and says, Let him who boasts not boast in wisdom. Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. A lot of times we think that we are able to do things by ourselves. We, 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 we think that we have everything figured out. You see, in, in God's wisdom, the entrance of trials a lot of times come to put away our self-sufficiency and put us and, and point us to the sufficient God. God in trials wants to get us to a point where we see that we are unable to do anything by ourselves and show us that God is sufficient, that we are to look to God alone. A lot of times, I said this on Tuesday, a lot of times we, we like saying things like, God will not give you trials that you are unable to handle. That when he gives you trials, you will be able to handle them. That's not true. It's not in the Bible. And people try to defend it from 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, about the fact that no temptation has overtaken you. That is not common to men. And, and, and God is faithful. He will, he will um, give you a way of escape. So and so on. That's a bad paraphrase of the passage. But anyways, that passage is about temptations to sin. Right? It's not about trials that try your faith. The, 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 the trials that come will come and, and, and you won't be able to handle them. The, the reason you are not able to handle them, the, the, the reason God brings trials that you are not able to handle is that you will come to realize that you are not self-sufficient self and you cannot handle them and you look to him. Right? And I wonder this morning as you hear about wisdom, I wonder who do you ask for wisdom? Where do you go when you need wisdom? Do you consult Dr. Phil or Oprah Winfrey? Do you consult magazines and horoscopes, right? And someone asks you about what's your star sign? I usually say dinosaur. And they say, but that does not exist. And I say, they don't all exist. They, all of them don't exist. So, you, you, do you consult horoscopes? Do you consult TV shows? What is the source of your wisdom? Where do you get wisdom? This is an age-old question. It's, it's, it's a question that has been asked for centuries upon centuries. One man who is known to have went through great trials in his life, Job, who in the midst of his sufferings, after losing his children, his wealth and his health, asked himself this question as well. Note what he says in Job chapter 28, verses 12 to 28. I just want to read this whole section. Listen to Job as, as, as he is contemplating this question of wisdom. Remember that he is not contemplating it from the point of a philosopher who is divorced from the realities of life. He is, he is contemplating this question as one who is in the midst of trial, who is experiencing trial at that moment, as one who is grieving the loss of his children, who is thinking about the loss of his wealth, and, and who is in the midst of, of 
a, a body that is wrecked by by disease he is a man who is contemplating this question of wisdom he says verse 12 but where shall wisdom be found and where is the place of understanding man does not know its worth and it is not found in the land of the living the deep says it is not in me and the sea says it is not in me it cannot be bought for gold and silver cannot be weighed as its price. It cannot be valued in the gold of Ophir, in the precious onyx of sapphire. Gold and glass cannot equal it, nor can it be exchanged for jewels of fine gold. No mention shall be made of coral or of crystal. The price of wisdom is above pearls. The topaz of Ethiopia cannot equal it, nor can it be valued in pure gold from where then does wisdom come and where is the place of understanding it is hidden from the eyes of all the living and concealed from the baits of the air abaddon and death say we have heard a rumor of it we have heard a rumor of it with our ears then he goes on to say god understands the way of it and he knows its place for he looks to the ends of the earth and sees everything under the heavens when he gave to the wind its weight and apportioned the waters by measure when he made a decree for the rain and a way for the lightning of the thunder then he saw it and declared it he established it and searched it out and he said to man behold the fear of the lord that is wisdom. And to turn away from evil is understanding. When you consider the words of Job, two things stand out from here. First, the world does not have the wisdom that we need. The, the wisdom from above cannot be found in the world. The, the, the world does not possess this. The, 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 the voice of the world when it comes to this kind of wisdom is, it is not in me. Secondly, what we see is that God is the one who possesses and points us to true wisdom. That is why James, after asking about people who lack wisdom, he says, let them ask God. Let him ask God. And to motivate, to motivate us or to inspire us in this asking, he, he presents two facts about God. He presents two facts about God. First, to, to, the first motivating fact about God is that he is a generous God. Look at that verse again. He says, let him ask God who, is, who gives generous generously to all without reproach the word generous can be translated as liberally the, the idea here is of a god who is a gracious and liberal giver 
when we see him from this vantage point as a generous giver, we can be encouraged to come boldly before him with our request. He, we can be encouraged to draw near to him because he is a generous God. He gives graciously and he gives liberally. Look at the next sentence again, the next words. It says, he gives generously to all. Right? He gives to all generously. Obviously, the context here is referring to the Christian context. He, he gives to all Christians. In other words, what James is trying to communicate here, what he's trying to remind us of God's generosity is that God's generosity is not based on our cultural background. It is not based on our racial identity. It is not based on our social standing. But God's generosity is based on who he is. He reaches out to all his children in the same way. When we come to him, it doesn't matter whether you are a theologian, you've studied all your life theology, or, or whether you are just a, a Christian who has been a Christian for a few days. He gives generously to all. That is why the next sentence, James says, he gives generously to all without reproach. In other words, what James is saying here, <laughs> is that a lot of times we ask God for wisdom and we do not use it appropriately. When we come to him to ask for wisdom again, he does not scold us. He, he, he does not say, you used wisdom unwisely. Right? He, he still gives generously. He is a generous God who is who is happy for us to come to him. That's the first thing that James shows us, the first fact about God that motivates us to draw near to him. The second uh, fact about God that motivates us to go to him is his delight in answering prayer. His delight, right? God delights in answering prayer prayer look at that sentence again who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given him uh, the, the 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 english does not um, uh, emphasize what james wants to say what wants to say here that the, when you look at the greek it, 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 it when we translate it literally it says let him ask the giving god right let him ask the giving god who gives generously Behind the words, it will be given him, is a confident declaration of the nature of God. He is a giving God, ready to answer prayer. When Solomon was given a chance to ask anything, anything before God, he asked for wisdom. God was delighted to grant it to him, even to grant him more than he anticipated, more than he asked for. He, he gave him wealth, he gave him honor, and he gave him a long life. When you look at First Kings chapter 3, verse 9 to 18, the fact that James wants to show us here is that when you draw near to God, we must draw near to God with these two uh, facts about him in mind. He's a generous God, and he delights in answering prayer. 
So he goes on, James goes on to, to show us that our approach of God must be marked by faith. He shows us thirdly, the third thing about wisdom, which is the manner of asking for wisdom. The manner of asking for wisdom. We see that in verses 6 to verse 8. Look at what he says. He says, but, but let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Katie Gordon says that God is to be approached on his own terms not ours. He is to be approached in the way he has prescribed, not in any old how. When you look at verse 6 to verse 8, God's prescription here of how we must approach him um, is clear. When we ask for wisdom, God has prescribed the way we must approach them. This approach, if you observe, is twofold. First, it is given in the positive and then in the negative. Let us look at the first way, the positive way it is given. He says, um, first part of verse 6, but let him ask in faith. Let him ask in faith. When we draw near to God, God wants us to come to him in faith. See, when you pray before God, um, when, 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 a, when a worshiper, when a Christian praise before God. He or she must do so with the whole knowledge of who God is as a, as, as a motivating factor. This, this is where verse 5 comes into play. The knowledge that you approach a God who is generous and delights in answering prayer should be the impetus or the, the great motivation of coming to him. That the writer of Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 11 verse 6 says this. He says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. For whoever draws near to God must believe that he exists, one, and, and that he is the rewarder of those who seek him. Man, when we draw near to God, we must draw near in faith that he exists and he rewards those who seek him. Edmund Hibbert says, when we approach God with our petitions, we must, not, we must believe not only in his ability to grant our requests, but also in his ability to answer in harmony with his character and purpose. Believing prayer takes its stand upon the character of God. Listen to those words, right? The, 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 the ground, the solid ground of prayer that is from faith is based on the character of God. The reason that you draw near to God with confidence in your heart, it is not because you have convincing words, right? It is not because you have the ability to negotiate. Your, your negotiating skills are, are great, 100% negotiating skills. It is not because of that. It, it is not because you are praying in the King James language, Oh, thou mighty heavenly Father, Will thou bless us today? It is not because of that. It is because of who God is. It is based on the character of God. 
So when we draw near to God, when we pray before him, we must come expectant. We must come in faith. That's the positive way. And then he goes on to show us the negative way. Look at the next sentence. He says, let him ask in faith with no doubting. That is the negative way, with no doubting. When, when one doubts, you, you can be sure that the eyes are, are looking at the trial itself and not at God. Right? Because from that point of view, the trial looks big. It, 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 it looks insurmountable. It, it, it looks like you cannot get through this. And when that is your view, when your view is looking down rather than looking up at God, God becomes small in your mind. He becomes weak. It results in doubting God's ability, questioning whether he's able to do all that he says he can do, doubting his character, whether it is true, whether it can be relied upon. Martin Luther says the disposition of doubt places the character of God in question and blocks our access to his bounty. James says here to this person who doubts, he describes this person who doubts this way. He says, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. The, the, the picture of a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind speaks of instability in belief. It speaks of one who is unstable in his ways. When you, when you look, when you continue verse 8, he says, he's a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. In other words, you draw near to God with, with, with a heart that is coming to God. Another heart is, is not believing that God is able to do what he says he's able to do. You come into God but you are doubting his ability. You come into God, but you're doubting his character. You're doubting his faithfulness. Driven and tossed by the wind. The Bible says that person must not think, must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. And I can guess accurately this morning that most of us are unfortunately here. In the midst of trial, we find ourselves in doubt and rather than faith. The, the, the first man who comes in faith hardly describes us. We are described by the man who doubts. Right? What's our default response to trial? Fear. Anxiety doubt, anger. It, it describes us more than it describes anyone else. There's a battle in the mind between the reality of the trial, 
that we find ourselves in and the knowledge of who God is. There's a battle that rages in our hearts, in our minds, when we find ourselves in the midst of a trial. There's a, we are like that wave of the sea that is driven and tossed. We are unstable in our hearts. And oftentimes, the voice of trial seems to be overpowering and louder than the voice of faith. Let me encourage you this morning. Instead of throwing your hands in despair, remind yourself of the character and promises of God. Sing about them. Sing about them. I, I can understand that sometimes it's even hard to pray, right? Take a hymn, open it, and sing. Sing in the midst of that trial. Sing of the shepherd who cares. Sing of the savior who died in your place. Sing of the warrior who fights for you. Sing of the comforter who is by your side. Sing of a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Sing about his death on the cross that saved you. Sing about his burial that carried your sins far away. Sing about his resurrection that justified you and sing about his glorious return where he will take you to be with him forever where he will wipe away every tear where there will be no sickness, where there will be no pain Pain. Sing about him at those moments where you find yourself. Remind yourself of who he is in song. Beat your trials with song. Our need for wisdom is a need to see Christ in the midst of trial. When the darkness of trial veils his lovely face, to rest on his unchanging grace we want to we want to rest on his unchanging grace in that mist in every high and stormy gale to anchor our hope in him alone you see ultimately the voice of wisdom is the voice of christ who paul says is the wisdom of god christ is wisdom incarnate he is the one that we desperately need in the midst of trial. When we look to him and he's suffering on the cross, the only thing that fills our hearts is gratitude because on the cross we see the full display of the wisdom of God. Right? We see God in Christ taking our sufferings that we truly deserved, the sufferings of eternal hell, of suffering in eternal hell, and our sin being placed upon him and him drinking the full wrath of God. When we look at him, we say the, the sufferings that we truly deserved have been taken upon him and we can rejoice and we can bear these momentary afflictions because our eternal afflictions are taken away from us romans chapter 8 verse 1 says there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in christ in other words, in the midst of trial, when we ask for God for wisdom, the wisdom of God comes into our lives and shows us that the entrance of trial in the life of the Christian is not as a result of the condemnation of God. It is because God is forming us and preparing us for glory. Hallelujah. 
God is preparing us for glory. Oh Lord, thank you. Thank you that we can rely upon you and your wisdom. When we ask wisdom from you, we can be confident that you will give to us because you are generous and you delight in answering prayer. May we not be double-minded as we often are. May we not doubt you. May we glorify you with our lives because you are God. You are worthy of praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.